0: Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth.
1: The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth, and I can hear my uh, credit card getting uh, tighter and uh, my... Uh... <laughs> my, my gift something is getting, else getting cut. getting shorter. Yes, yeah, something else getting tighter as well. Hopefully not. I, you know, I was never one, uh, Brad, to uh, oh, enjoy the, the the cookies and the candies and all that kind of garbage that goes with the season. It's just more like uh, a couple of more, uh, you know, a couple of more celebrations here as we round out the year. Now, New Year's Eve—that's yeah. a different story. Oh. On the advertising yeah, show, yeah. On the advertising show, by the way, being brought to you by. Advertising Age magazine, visit online at thatage.com. The advertising show is uh, copyrighted, Big Radio Midgets Production. That means you can't have it. Well, you can listen to it, though. (laughs) Alex Ben Block is with us back again this week for part number two of our uh, conversation with Alex about what was and what is going to be for the uh, brand new year of of 2011. As we told you before, uh, you know, he must have had many previous lives because his bio here, being a page and a half long, uh, he was executive director of the L.A. Press Club, editor-in-chief, VP of the internet company eStar.com. He wrote out Foxed. He's got uh, regular panelist for five years on KPCC's Call Sheet, uh, expert uh, commentator on NPR. <laughs> uh, let's see, KNBC, the Today Show. You've probably seen him on television. Here on the, uh, the advertising show, we only hear him, uh, but we know he's there. So that's Alex Ben Block. Jeremy Kent will also be joining us momentarily to talk about uh, the things that are going on over in Europe as it relates to advertising and marketing. You know, I, I was uh, in looking through the articles, Brad, I thought it was rather interesting to see, and it continues to be less about advertising and more about connecting with uh, folks in a variety of very unique ways. Uh, I've got a thing here. For instance, Chevy, Chevrolet, is uh, looking uh, at consumers through their coffee. And if you think about it, you go, what? Uh, basically, uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal, by the way. It says, car makers like to talk about their sophisticated marketing methods from radio to television to social media. But the surest way to get the consumer's attention may be with a shot of caffeine. Uh, this is um, the Wall Street uh I don't have a, a, a subline on who wrote this here. It doesn't say. Oh, maybe it's Jonathan Welsh. Let's see. It says, I recently ordered takeout coffee, and it came with a cardboard sleeve that served as a tiny billboard. On the side was the front view of a bright new red cruise, a Chevrolet Cruise. Turning the cup 180 revealed the familiar ad line, like a Corolla but with everything you want. Chevy focusing now on what it considers to be a long list of Standard equipment on the cruise compared with the uh, Corolla and other rivals in the compact segment. But what a great way to reach a consumer, you know? Obviously, they haven't given up radio and television and all that kind of other stuff. But but if you're not doing all the other stuff that goes along with that, Brad, I mean, you're kind of missing the bet, aren't you?
0: I would think, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. And since we're having Alex Ben Block on a second uh, a second show here, and if you listen to last week's show, you understand why it takes two shows to cover what Alex has to say. But I thought it was interesting, Ray, that a new study by Nielsen argues that most people who watch at least some content from the web on their TV sets are cord keepers rather than cord cutters. According to the new study, And new technologies are supplementing viewing. Of regular uh, scheduled television, not replacing it. So, what do you mean, uh, with cord keepers
1: not, nor cord cutters? You're talking about.
0: Cor- what? What is yeah, that? Mean? In other words, in other words, they're not uh, viewing all television through Hulu or through uh, various other ways of of uh, watching television that can be done through the technology of the internet. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, I think, but one day they're going to say, "Remember back when people used to
1: keep their cords." <laughs> or the telephone had a cord. It's going to be right
0: up there with rabbit ears, you know?
1: Yeah, we ought to, you know, thinking of that, we probably ought to save them. They'll probably be worth something at a garage sale. Maybe five bucks. Throw them away. You don't need them. By the way, speaking of uh, ability to connect with people, we've got uh, a great connection with the folks at uh, audible.com. And I've seen them in various uh, venues as well on various uh, websites and such, but they're also hooked up to the advertising show. As a matter of fact, they've got a great offer. What's that all about?
0: Well, it's uh, audible.com, and it's a wonderful 14-day free trial. It's also a free download, and it's real simple. You simply you just go to audiblepodcast.com slash adshow and sign up. It's free for our listeners at the advertising show. And, well, if you haven't been listening lately and you're thinking, what is audible.com, it's real simple. It's a place to go for over 75,000 titles, for your iPod or your MP3 player, simply download any and all that you may want and take it on the road with you as you are probably today with the advertising show. And no more excuses for not listening or reading, I should say, uh, New York best seller excuse me, New York Times bestsellers, arts and entertainment type mag- uh, books. And they even have magazines and podcasts on there as well, Ray. So really? check it out. It's a free 14-day trial and it's a free audiobook download for the advertising show listeners. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash ad show, audiblepodcast.com slash ad show and sign up today for your free 14-day trial or your free audible book. Download.
1: and don't forget to call before midnight because i always wanted to say that at the end of one of these commercials so you know back sure. to the back to the chevy thing uh brad you know as far as uh it, it, this thing is a really low-tech kind of a way of reaching people you know we've got twitter and facebook and all that kind of stuff you can do that but I, I thought it was rather interesting that they were trying to reach people through basically hey while you're drinking your cup of coffee why don't you read this and uh, and learn a little bit more about uh, our product. I think that's a grand idea. So good for Chevrolet yeah. and, and good for Chevrolet for doing some stuff that is, uh, to me, very groundbreaking and very non traditional. As you look at them over the past several years, they have been uh, you know on the other side of the fence, which is kind of boring and everything. So what they're doing right now is cool. And uh, ironically, it seems like they have a, a, a pretty cool car out there. I hope that uh, I hope that the folks in Detroit and where they build these cars can actually support that claim and and uh, you know give us a car that's going to last uh, over a hundred thousand miles or a couple hundred like uh, like their competition does so maybe maybe America does have an opportunity to get back into the car business here what a what a nice thing too Alex Ben Block shortly uh, founding editor of Television Week uh, associate editor of Forbes magazine he's lived in Detroit he's lived in Miami he's lived in L A no wait that's where he lives right now if he lived in Europe, Jeremy Kent would probably be talking about him right now, I I would assume, huh? On uh, the advertising show, let's go uh, find out what's going on over there with uh, Jeremy Kent, with Ray and Brad at the advertising show. Let's listen.
2: Hello and a very warm welcome to the European News Desk. I'm Jeremy Kent. This week, ITV goes gaming with its number one soap, John Lewis and Facebook move up the influencers table, and Blinks moves into profit. ITV, the UK's largest commercial channel, has launched a new social gaming app called CoriNation. It is based on the UK's oldest and most successful soap, Coronation Street, and it's part of the show's 50th anniversary celebrations. Users can build their own virtual Coronation Street incorporating past and present characters, with the more infamous ones returning in animated form. ITV was the UK's first commercial broadcaster and true to form, players can pay for additional features on the app. The app will be promoted with 20- and 30-second TV spots and an outdoor campaign around the show's studios in Manchester. The game will mirror the show's current storylines and players will see how their decisions impact on the flow and direction of the storyline. ITV will gather all of the data to produce a poll of the most desired storylines and publish them. In a recent release of its annual poll, the Thought Leadership Group showed no change at the top as it positioned Apple and Google as the number one and number two brands in the UK. But there were surprises just below as the retailer John Lewis partnership came in at number three, having not featured in the top ten since 2007. Smoothie producer Innocent and social networking site Facebook also climbed, while Marks & Spencer and Virgin Atlantic went into decline. Finally, Blinks, the online video and advertising company, has moved into profit. The company, which makes all its money from advertising, announced a $2 million profit for the first half of the year, compared to a $7 million loss for the same period last year. Advertising sales for the six months to September more than doubled to $27.3 million, and advertisers drawn to the platform now include McDonald's, Nokia and Amex. This is Jeremy Kent at the European News Desk for The Advertising Show.
1: Jeremy Kent, thank you much, as always. The weekly feature here at the Advertising Show, our European correspondent. And we also want to say thanks again to Alex Ben Block for coming back this week and spending time with us. Alex is the award-winning entertainment industry journalist, author, commentator, and talk show host, senior editor of The Hollywood Reporter, lead editor on the book George Lucas's Blockbusting, published a great acclaim earlier this year. Uh, Alex is also the show business historian for Hollywood Today. And Alex, we had so much to talk about last week, we had more than enough to talk about. We, we thought we'd uh, do this in, over a couple of shows, so welcome back. Glad to have you here.
0: Oh, thank
3: you. I'm so happy to be back.
0: Yeah, Alex, as we uh, focus now on current news and what's ahead for 2011, so much has been talked about this past year about the highly anticipated NBC-Universal Comcast merger. Where where are we with that, and what do you expect to see as we go on into 2011?
3: Well, it looks like the uh, deal is closing, and uh, Comcast is moving forward with uh, choosing their new executives. Uh, Bob Greenblatt, who is a very experienced programmer, most recently at Showtime, has been paired up with Ted Harbert, who's been running the e-channel and some other properties, and they are going to now essentially run NBC, uh, Greenblatt being the programmer and Harbert running kind of the stations and advertising and all the business side of it. And uh, Comcast Steve Burke is actually the guy who's now in charge of all of the NBC Universal Comcast properties, which, of course, include Universal Studios as well as the network and uh, Univision and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, And so, uh, you know, Comcast is a cable company, traditionally, that's what we know them for. Now they're marrying with a broadcaster that also has a lot of very interesting cable channels like USA Network and Bravo and so forth. And so this is a big, powerful enterprise, not to be underestimated. And so, uh, you know, they're keeping some of the old people. They brought in some new people. But I think uh, overall it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. They're paying a lot of money for it. Now, remember, Comcast is getting 51%. General Electric will continue to own 49%. But what's important here is that Comcast will now be the managing partner. And if things go well over the coming years, Comcast will little by little buy out GE and uh, become the dominant partner here in terms of ownership as well. And so uh, this is a great experiment. It comes at a time that the values of these networks and these properties are at a very high rate. But uh, there's a lot of questions about how the future holds because there's so many choices if you're a viewer today, you know, you can go on the Internet. You can, uh, you can go to uh, all kinds of different places to get your entertainment. So uh, it's a very important deal. It uh, could be a game changer, or it could be the beginning of the end for a lot of these things. But I'm putting my money on the Comcast guys. I think they're going to revive NBC and NBC Universal and, uh, and keep it going. And I think uh, it's good that we'll have another strong player in the marketplace.
0: You know, we've talked about this when we've had you on in the past. Give us a little insight into the economic benefit of uh, a broadcast network hooking up with the largest cable company across America. There are economic benefits that are merged by these two companies coming together, aren't there?
3: Well, you know, you always have the efficiencies of uh, merging your back office and certain functions, administrator and stuff. Uh, and really, this acquisition isn't so much about the NBC network initially, although I think it's becoming more so. It was really about those cable properties. The cable channels, like USA Network and Bravo and some of the others that they own, are incredibly lucrative and growing in importance. And the advertisers like that niche opportunity to reach specific audiences that they offer. And so uh, I think that was the, really the twinkle in the eye of the guys at Comcast when they made this deal. But they inherit the movie studio, and Universal Pictures is not having one of their banner years, but, you know, it's a big film library and a big enterprise. They're keeping the great Ron Meyer running the company, which is a very smart move on their part. Uh, And uh, they also do get the network, which has been troubled and uh, is a big engine and potentially is a place that they also can have synergy, so that if you want to advertise uh, Comcast or your cable channels or your other properties, You know, the NBC Broadcast Network is still the place to accumulate a big audience. When they have a football game on or they carry a a major award show like the Golden Globes, uh, tons of people tune in, and that gives you an opportunity to promote your other products, your other shows, your other networks. And so the synergy is there, and I'm sure they're going to try and milk that for all they can. But uh, in terms of the overall economies, they pale compared to operating results. The real question is, can they operate it in a way that brings in big bucks? Will the economy rebound so that there's more opportunities? And that if you have all of that, then the efficiencies are the frosting on that cake.
0: You know, we're hearing rumors that Hefner may have to sell his famous Playboy mansion. Uh, we also hear that there might be a possibility of Hefner taking Playboy private. What does this mean for the, uh, I don't know, I guess you would you call it a Playboy empire?
3: Well, it once was an empire, wasn't it? There used to be a time when they uh, operated, they had a, you know, they were in Chicago, they were in New York, they were in Los Angeles. They had casinos around the world. Uh, you know, the magazine licensed uh, their properties all over the place in Japan. You know, you could get millions of dollars for licensing the Playboy name. Uh, the Playboy Clubs closed down in America a long time ago, but they've continued to thrive in certain other capitals around the world. But little by little, and I think you got to blame the Internet largely for this, the whole Playboy brand has seen the air go out of the balloon, because now that people can get pornography, uh, hardcore, softcore, any core you want, uh, at the click of a button, and a lot of it for free, or you know, you can sign up for the day rate or whatever it is to get some of this stuff, uh, it makes it tough. Playboy, even though they had nudity, they were always kind of the family-acceptable kind of nudity. And now there's a lot of places out there where you can get this really hardcore stuff and Playboy has tried moving into that. They've bought channels that have the hardcore stuff under different brand names. But uh, their revenues are down. The subscriptions to the magazine have dropped dramatically from their heyday. Advertising in the magazine is way down. And so things aren't what they were. So now here's you, Hefner, what is he, 84, 85 years old?
1: Just a bit, yeah. Uh,
3: still living with uh, several gorgeous young girls. You know, the joke used to be, Uh, he gets older, but the girls never do. (laughs)
1: Uh,
3: but, uh, you know, what goes on there, you can go read about in books. Uh, I'm not going to be the one who explains that to you, but, uh, Hugh Hefner clearly doesn't want to let go. And so he recently made a bid to take Playboy Private to raise the money to buy his own company back. And whether that's going to work or not, whether he can get the financing or not, whether somebody else will come in and bid more, including Penthouse, which these days really is, uh, something called. The adult friend finder is their main source of revenue on the Internet, hmm. and it's a huge enterprise. Uh, whether they're going to buy it or somebody else is going to buy it is unclear, but there's talk that Hefner may have to sell his mansion, his famous mansion. I'm sure you've all seen it on TV. I've been up there a few times with the lagoon and the big house, and you know, every week he has his buddies over to play cards and watch movies and chase the girls around the pool and all that <laughs> other stuff they do there. Uh, at the moment, he's still going, but it seems like the end of the era is in sight. And whether you, Hefner, buys it or not, and whether he lives forever or not, I think the whole Playboy brand isn't what it used to be and probably never will be again. But, uh, you know, it's a viable company, and uh, and it's hard to feel sorry for you, Hefner. He's had one heck of a life. I certainly haven't lived like he's lived, and I, I don't know many people who have. So, uh, you know, may he have good health and young girlfriends forever, but... Uh, <laughs> Playboy is suffering at the moment.
1: He loses the mansion. He loses all the girls. But the good news is, the mansion will be then on HGTV. They'll renovate it. to something. You
3: want to visit him in that one bedroom apartment at Van Nuys? <laughs> exactly. Hey,
1: Brad. I want to take a break here on the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. We've got uh, our vehicle, which is called the Advertising Show dot com, being powered by Shipple.com, dot com, S C H I P U L, and a platform called Tendency, which is a killer marketing platform. Check it out. At shippel.com. You want more? Well, we've got more coming up with Ray, Brad, and Alex here in the advertising show. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth.
1: You worked too hard, you ate too much,
3: the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, From the Playboy
1: Mansion all the way to uh, Alex's uh, back porch uh, with a hot tub. He's got it running, now, I'm sure. It's uh, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth with Alex Ben Block on The Advertising Show. Welcome back, Alex.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, Alex, I understand the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, still has a job vacancy they need to fill.
3: That's right. The top job, the job that for many, many years belonged to Jack Vilenny, is open at the moment. It's being held on an interim basis by the very capable Bob Bazzano, uh, But for reasons I'll get into in a second, if you like, uh, they're not offering him the job on a permanent basis. They did go after uh, former Senator Bob Kerry of Nebraska who's currently the president of the new school in new york city and they asked him to take the job he thought about it for a while and then uh, thought about it for a while and then thought about it for a while longer until finally they figured out he didn't really want it bad enough and they pulled the offer back it was all kind of public and embarrassing but the problem is he didn't want to do what they need which is to go to washington and be a lobbyist and to really live the life in washington and be their representative and Kerry likes living in New York and uh, has been to Washington and doesn't want to do that again. <laughs> so uh, instead, uh, they've kind of put the search off, I think. What they're waiting for was to see after the election who became available, among hmm. the big star names of Washington that they might be able to go after. They've had, they have an executive recruiting firm who's working on it. But really what's going on here is that the MPAA and the Jack Maloney era, which began in 1965 and ended earlier in this uh, About when he died, about uh, left about five, seven years ago, uh, was a different organization. It was really a powerful lobbying organization that won a lot of victories and represented a pretty cohesive group in Hollywood. But it's not cohesive anymore. Today, those same studios have other interests, whether it's consumer electronics or television networks or video games or other activities. There's a lot of things they don't agree on and that they have their own lobbyists for. The only thing they can agree on is anti-piracy. This has been a big year for anti-piracy efforts. The Obama administration has joined with the MPAA and a number of the guilds and others to really make a major push on piracy around the world and on the Internet, where a lot of the piracy has moved today, where you can get all kinds of stuff illegally without paying copyright, without the people who worked hard uh, to pay for it and create it uh, getting compensated. And so uh, the job has narrowed its focus. And while there's still certainly big issues and important stuff to do, it's a different job than it used to be. So uh, my guess is sometime early in 2011, they'll pin down another person to offer the job to, uh, and they'll go forward. But Bob Pisano looks like he'll stay on as president, which is very good. Uh, It'll give him continuity, and he knows the business. He used to be a studio executive, and he ran the Screen Actors Guild for a while, and he's really a, a very good guy. And so uh, the MPA isn't going anywhere, but they do need that kind of leadership that when you send the guy to uh, Turkestan and he says, stop piracy, people actually don't care. They will care because of who he is, and right now they don't have that.
1: With a name like Paisano and uh, Valenti, uh, it sounds kind of like the mob in a way, but I guess it's not, huh?
3: Uh, it's a different mob. This is the Hollywood mob.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, you know, and big shoes to
0: fill there with Valenti. Uh, when you see the picture of uh, Jacqueline Kennedy and and Johnson taking the uh, oath on the plane back from Dallas to Washington, there's Valenti in the background, yeah. as well as uh, Jack Johnson, Valenti, a former, a former advertising agency guy out of Houston originally. Right, you know, right, you know, right uh, and Alex?
3: And then he was the assistant to Lyndon Johnson. Uh, and then it was out of that that Hollywood came and hired him away to run the MPAA.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, as we wrap up this segment, real quickly, I want to talk to you about the Newsweek Daily Beast merger that was uh, announced not so long ago. Uh, what can you tell us about this, Alex?
3: I can tell you that Barry Diller is a genius. This guy somehow just got half of Newsweek for free. And I don't know how you do that, but he keeps pulling off these deals. Uh, Newsweek, of course, uh, for many years, like Time, was the news magazine that we all turned to but in this new world where there's so much media and so many ways to get your news the times kind of passed newsweek by and so a couple of years ago newsweek reinvented itself as more of a feature kind of publication and that hasn't worked very well and they hit the advertising recession and the ads have continued to drop and even in the past year when advertising rebounded elsewhere newsweek was down another twelve percent from an already pretty low base in terms of ad pages and uh, they had a debt of about $43 million. So the Washington Post company decided to put it up for sale. They sold it to a man named Sid- Sidney Herman, who lives out here in Los Angeles and uh, has a big stereo company. Uh, they make speakers and so forth. And uh, he's always been politically active. And his wife is actually a congressperson. And uh, he bought it for a dollar, but he uh, accepted $43 million in debt to go with it. And then little by little, he was figuring it out a lot of the big star names the magazine left. And so uh, they had a real problem. So he figured out, well, maybe Tina Brown, who used to run Vanity Fair and is very well known is now running The Daily Beast, and uh, she ran The New Yorker years ago that she'd be a good person to do this. So he decided to merge the Daily Beast with Newsweek. and uh, they negotiated the talks broke down and on and on. and then finally uh, they made a deal. And essentially, uh, Barry Diller, who is backing the Daily Beast and Tina Brown, gets half of Newsweek. And uh, Newsweek gets Tina Brown as its editor. And Sidney Harmon will take some kind of administrative role, but uh, not a very uh, important or upfront role, considering he's the guy who put all the money into it, or is putting money into it. And uh, we'll see what happens. Remember, both Newsweek and the Daily Beast are losing lots of money every single day. So the idea here is to create a new vehicle online and in print that can sell ads and can be powerful and be a voice. And if they're successful, uh, it's a great opportunity. If they're not successful, a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money.
0: Kind of reminds me of the old saying: the car dealer that's losing a hundred dollars on each
1: car but expects to make it up in volume. <laughs> right
3: there, you go. Yeah,
1: that doesn't equate. He didn't take algebra. That's the way it goes. On the advertising show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth, we will take a break and then continue our conversation with Alex Ben Block here with Rain Brad. The advertising show. Glad you're listening. Welcome back. We're back with uh, Alex Block, the award-winning entertainment industry journalist, author, commentator, and talk show host. also the senior editor of The Hollywood Reporter and a show business historian for Hollywood Today. Alex, always great to have you here on the show.
3: Thank you.
0: Hey, Alex, I understand there are still battles going on between uh, SAG, Screen Actors Guild, as well as AFTRA, yet I thought I understood they made a deal earlier this year.
3: Well, you know, uh, it's just a little more than a year ago we had the writer's strike and then an actor strike, uh, or almost actor strike, and there was a lot of unrest in terms of labor. A lot of it was about new media. Uh, and then SAG and AFTRA the last time around, uh, which are unions that represent actors, uh, had stopped working together after many years of jointly negotiating, uh, and it didn't work out too well. And uh, so now uh, they have new leadership at the Screen Actors Guild, and the after folks have gotten together with them, and they've gotten back together and are negotiating together again. And they went into the talks with a very realistic attitude. And uh, surprisingly, they made an early settlement on their big deal, on their major contract. And uh, the actors get about a 3% per year raise over three years. Uh, But more importantly, they get almost a 10% increase in the health and welfare benefits. And nobody seems too worried about new media this time around. the money isn't there yet and uh, nobody can quite figure out how to milk the thing anyway. So uh labor peace reigns in Hollywood for the moment and now SAG and after are working together and have made some other contracts, a commercials contract and they're doing other things. Uh I actually, of all people the who represents the below the line workers, the craft people, you know, the, the grips and the uh cinematographers and cameramen and so forth uh, is if anybody having uh, more fights than, than anybody else. Uh, For instance, the show Biggest Loser uh, has Screen Actors Guild uh, and DGA members, but they don't have IETSI workers uh, doing the lower-level jobs. And IETC's been picketing them and trying to organize a lot of these shows. The problem is, as you move to reality television, a lot of these shows don't have guild affiliations the way the scripted shows did. And so the producers are trying to do them cheaper. They're trying to work around the guilds. And so there's still a lot of unrest on that level. But the big picture is that SAG and AFTRA have made their deal. The Directors Guild uh, looks like uh, they're going to their negotiations, highly likely to make a deal as well. And uh, then, of course, the wild card is always the writers, but if everybody else makes a deal, and uh, what happens is they, they, have, they basically have a pattern. And once you set the pattern, the writers either accept the pattern or they have a problem. And uh, in this case, unlike the last time around, when the writers, for odd reasons, kind of led, this time they're the caboose. And they're probably going to have to accept the same kind of deal that everybody else is getting. So labor peace uh, reigns in Hollywood, at least for the moment.
0: Hmm. You know, uh, before I talk to you about the uh, transition that Oprah will be making to cable, how is she doing this year as she winds down her show as far as ratings? Do you know?
3: Well, you know, I think she's been pretty solid. You know, this whole concept of the last season has allowed her to go out, and she's done some really big shows uh, she recently got Robert Redford and Barbra Streisand together uh, to talk uh, about the movie the way they were for the first time in years, that they've been together anywhere uh, on TV or elsewhere, I guess. Uh, and they've done, she's done a bunch of other reunion shows, and uh, so she's riding a big wave as she heads into the final sunset here uh, later in 2011, uh, and so uh, it seems like, uh, although her ratings are down from their all-time high, uh, she's still the queen of afternoon television and daytime television in America and probably will go out on top, which I think is what she always planned. That's good. And then, of course, she's got the OWN network coming.
0: Go ahead. That's exactly what I was going to ask you about, the OWN network, Cable.
3: Well, the Oprah Winfrey Network, OWN, which is a joint venture between her and the Discovery Communications folks, who are a very smart group based in Washington, uh, is launching and replacing another kind of failed lifestyle channel that uh, the Discovery had that wasn't doing very well. And they've been out hiring lots of people uh, to do talk shows and reality shows and scripted shows and other stuff. And Oprah finally has uh, agreed to do her own signature show of some sort on the network as well. And so, uh, you know, she's moving her act to cable. Now, look what happened with Conan O'Brien. He went to cable and the audience followed him. And I have to expect that with Oprah, you know, it's not like the old days when cable was some mysterious thing. Today, a couple of clicks on the remote, and you go from broadcast to cable to pretty soon with Google TV and Apple TV to anywhere you want on the Internet. And so, uh, you know, if people who love Oprah will be able to find her pretty easily, and the audience that matters to her are people who have cable or have some sort of satellite or communications. And so uh, and, and she doesn't need as big an audience on cable as she does on broadcast to be a success. And remember, this time she doesn't have one show. She's going to have a whole network full of shows. And so if uh, some of those shows can perform well, if the advertising market holds up, if her demographic, the ladies who watch her show, uh, you know, follow her, uh, she's going to make, you know, she's already incredibly wealthy, but she'll make lots and lots more money as an owner of not just a show, but a whole network this time around. And uh, I, for one, will never underestimate Oprah. Yeah, that's
0: back. yeah, I don't think anybody does these days. Uh, the one thing I guess we can always count on is change when it comes to both life and television. I understand we've got a new Emmy broadcast deal ahead for 2011.
3: Well, you know, they had an eight-year deal, uh, what they call the wheel, meaning that uh, the four major networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, shared over eight years. Each one did it twice uh, in rotation. And uh, they were paying, I think, about $8 million a year for the rights to do that. That was besides the cost of the broadcast itself. Uh, and they negotiated uh, prior to the end of the contract, which was leading up to the show at the end of August, and they were unable to come to an agreement. And so they continue to talk. And the problem is the broadcast networks are kind of lukewarm about this show. Yes, it's an event. Yes, they'd like to have it, but they don't want to pay more for it. They may even want to pay less for it. And uh at times, you know, it used to be that when the Emmys were on, boy, it just knocked your socks off and it, it won the ratings. Now it's a perennial number two behind Sunday Night Football when it airs on Sunday night. And so uh it's still a big event, but it's got a very specific audience. Well, the boys are watching football, the girls are watching the Emmys. And that's okay. You can sell against that audience. But uh, at this point, it's unclear what's going to happen now. You'd say, well, why doesn't HBO take it over? Let's put it on TNT, or let's put it on USA Network. The problem is that if you do that, the broadcasters are pretty much signaled already they're not going to play. In other words, they yeah. won't enter their shows, they won't send their stars, they won't participate in the whole Emmy thing that goes on, and uh, you know, they may even go off and start their own show. The Paley Center for Media has a committee that's discussing starting another TV award show, which maybe would be a little more friendly to what they want in their attitude. So the Academy of uh, Television Arts and Sciences based in North Hollywood, California. Uh, Most of their budget depends on the license fee from the Emmys. This is life or death for them. And so it's highly likely they'll have to make a deal that will include all the broadcasters, and maybe some others will get in there. Maybe there will be a cable channel, or maybe they'll find a way to multi-platform it. So if, let's say... NBC has the show. It'll also partly be on Bravo or USA Network or something like that. So uh, it's a tricky negotiation. The uh, attitude of the networks is we're no in no rush, and we don't want to pay more money. And if you don't like it, go Whistle Dixie. And the attitude <laughs> well, one- of the TV Academy is we need a deal.
0: It'll be interesting to see what happens with that, and we'll all uh, watch with interest. One final question for 2010 for you, Alex. If you wouldn't mind, put uh, put your crystal ball squarely in front of you and tell us what you would see as far as the ratings for 2011 in the television business. Who are the winners and who are the losers?
3: Well, you know, uh, what's happening is that where you are seems to be less and less important. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're on NBC or TNT or even if you're part of netflix what matters is the show and the brand. so oprah uh... is very important because she herself is a brand or if you have a hit show like american idol that's important because that onto itself is a brand And if you took american idol and moved it to nbc or tnt most of the audience would go with it and so the important thing here is the brand and so you have to not just build these brands but you don't have to build them on multiple platforms So if you have a show that's on broadcast, you also want to have some spin-off that's on the Internet. And then you want to have products and licenses for other things that come off it, uh, whether it's video games or uh, spin-off publications or books or some other form of media or uh, whatever it is. Uh, So the question is, where are the brands that matter? How do you build new brands? It's not an easy thing to do. You know, we talked last week about in the movie business. If you look at the list of movies, the top-grossing movie of 2010 was Toy Story 3, not Toy Story 1. And that whole list really, Inception was one of the few movies that was an original movie that did well. For the most part, uh, it's so hard to market anything. The marketplace is so fragmented that people look for those best-selling books, the hit video game, the the big name, the whatever it takes to we have a pre-marketable element that you can take out and get people to come and at least sample the show and then of course it's up to the quality of the content beyond that but uh what the future holds is more things where people shows events have to be a brand and then you have to figure out how to monetize that brand across multiple platforms and if you do that it's never been more lucrative the it's a worldwide audience Uh, there's television networks and movie theaters being built and opened and expanded all over the globe. Uh, And so the audience is there. The question is, who's got the product? Who's going to make the money? Is Apple and Google and Netflix going to steal it away from the traditional media companies like ABC, NBC, and CBS? Or are they all going to share it? And that really is the quandary going forward for all of these guys is, who's going to have the brands, who's going to have the platforms, Who's going to do the distribution, and who's going to make the money?
1: And there you have it, uh, 2010, and a look ahead at uh, 2011 here with our uh, one of our favorite folks here at the Advertising Show, Alex Ben Block, award-winning entertainment industry journalist, author, commentator, and talk show host. And, Alex, uh, thank you so much for your great contribution this past year. We certainly appreciate uh, you being a part of the show. And let's do this a whole bunch more in 2011. What do you say?
3: Well, thank you very much, and a happy holidays and good new year to everybody.
1: Back at you, Alex. Thanks so much. We'll be back with more on the Advertising Show in just a moment. Alex Ben Block, thank you very much. Look forward to uh, 2011 with you here at the Advertising Show as well, and also look uh, forward to a lot of great uh, interviews coming your way. We never uh, n- kind of never let you down here. We've always got somebody who is uh, who is important, who has something to say, and will make a difference uh, in our world and uh, of marketing and advertising and in, in your life, hopefully as well. Uh, love to hear from you if you've uh, got some notes that you want to send our way. Let us know what you think of the Advertising Show. How? Uh, how much you listen, and uh, how many of your friends listen as well at theadvertisingshow.com. So uh, we'll wrap up the year here, Brad. We've got um, more to come your way in these last uh, couple of weeks of the year. But uh, we uh, basically say thanks for listening, right? Yeah, as we
0: enter our 10th year here at The Advertising Show, uh, never a dull moment uh, with you, Ray, and wonderful to have been with you for the past almost 10 years and wanted to, uh, more importantly... I'm sorry? I said incredible, isn't it? It's a long time. It is. And uh, we've got a lot of uh, new listeners from the Great White North, Canada, that have been logging on lately. So
1: welcome to them as well. I also want to say thanks to our sponsors as well. Uh, You know, if you talk, uh, you know, uh, for instance, Jeremy Kent, uh, who contributes every week, um, and, of course, the guests that uh, show up every week, that's even better. But also the support staff uh, that uh, takes care of uh, the things that uh, make the advertising show uh, work, and uh, you know that would be all of the people who put uh, uh, put it together. Brad, yeah, you know we had Ariel and uh, Varangi, and, uh, and of course Bruce is a part of the show as well. But uh, yep. good stuff here, so it's been a lot of fun. Hey, um, I guess we got to wrap, but I'm going to go do some, some more Christmas shopping. I guess that'd be a good idea. The advertising show is being brought to you by what? I haven't started yet. By Advertising Age Magazine, visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.